Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. Thanks so much for your company. We've got so much to talk about this week. Um, it's nice to get the gang back together, isn't it? Um, and so welcome to Andy Dunn, uh, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, Jeremy Cross, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star, and Matt Dunn, Football Aficionado of the Daily Express. Uh, good morning to you all. Hope everyone is well. Uh, we're already fired up because we've just been having a row. Um, <laughs> um, and so we're going to start off in that feisty mood. We've got so much to talk about. Manchester United, the Champions League, Southgate's new deal. Looking forward to the Premier League preview this weekend. And of course, a seismic day, hopefully, for football yesterday with the um, uh, publication of Tracy Crouch's wide-ranging fan-led review into football. What needs to change? Will it change? We'll be having a look at that, really. But listen, let's start off with the the, the story of the week, shall we? And Manchester United and all the fallout that that has brought, really. I, I mean, guys, there, there was surely no no option, was there, but to chat uh, to uh, sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Michael Carrick's now at the wheel. Um, interim boss. Who's going to be the interim boss? Who's going to be the permanent boss? Uh, I, I mean, it is. It has been an incredible week. Uh, Jeremy, what's been, what, Jeremy? What's been your take on it um, this week? And where where do we go from here? Well, it's it's strange. You feel like they've finally done the right thing. You know, I personally think they should have got rid of Solskjaer after the end of last season. I think by 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 getting to the end. Last season, you, you you already knew that he wasn't he wasn't that elite manager that United need. But you know, I think sentiments come into it with uh, the way United view Solskjaer. You know, he's the guy who scored that famous goal that won in the Champions League. Um, there's a lot of love for him at the club. He's a decent bloke. We all know that. Um, but but on the flip side, we, we knew we knew that he didn't have that acumen to to win the biggest games. You know, to win trophies, he's had plenty of time, more than enough time, really, to. Um, to prove he is that man, and he, he, he couldn't do it. So as soon as they lost four one at Watford on, um, on last weekend, you knew you knew that even that was the final nail in his coffin. So you know it's the right decision. You know no one wants to see anyone lose the job, but but it just wasn't going to work for him. So um, the right decision being made, it's just been made too late, and now we're in a farcical situation where Manchester United, the biggest club, or well, arguably the biggest club in the world. I've got a caretaker manager in charge. Um, nothing against Michael Carrick because he's a thoroughly decent bloke and an intelligent, intelligent man as well, a great player. But he's, he's just such a novice. And he is um, in caretaker charge while they look for an interim manager to replace the caretaker manager. Now, how we've got into this situation is a, is a debate we'll probably get into, but... Um, so you know they 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 they've made a big call, um, but now they have a problem to solve. And you know, who do they go for? I'm told they want to you know some someone with experience um, to sort of steady the ship really for the for the rest of the season um, while they devise a plan to bring in that elite manager that they you know they want to appoint probably next summer and take them back to the top. That will be the challenge for that guy. Um, but yeah, it's when you look at the scenario they find themselves in, it's it's just hard to fathom really how they've got themselves into this situation. Club of that stature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple of couple of things that really struck me on on, on Sunday, Andy, which was was basically um Solskjaer's uh farewell, which has taken a, a, a lot of stick, really. It did remind me of Roy Hodgson's, you know. Uh, very angry goodbye in 2016. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When he put when the people carrier pulled up outside the sort of big glass fronted um, press conference room that we that we had in France. In the, where was that place? Where was that little place called? Chantilly. Chantilly. And basically, and we could see a row ensuing as Roy Hodgson didn't want to get out of the car. <laughs> and so we had to be talked into you know attending a press conference which he didn't want to. But then. Also, uh, the club statement on Sunday, which again 
got absolutely panned, didn't it? And basically, you know, but it's obviously, you know, it's, you know, it read, Michael Carrick will now take charge of the team for the forthcoming games while the club looks to appoint an interim manager to the end of the season. I mean, that, that you know, they're clearly well on their way. You know, I mean, Pochettino seems the popular choice to be the permanent oh. manager, but who who then gets who gets the, the job on the short term? And is that the right way to go? Tackle both of those issues for us. Well, I mean, I mean, on both the things you brought up, I mean, first of all, about um, Solskjaer and his farewell interview. You know, listen, that that that's that's his choice. You know, I'm sure it wasn't part of the severance agreement that he must go and uh, give this give this interview. Um, I think he wants to do it. You know, he he, he wants to express how. How sort of um, how proud he'd been, how honoured he'd been to be man- manager of Manchester United, and you know, and you know, maybe that betrayed just a hint of um, what was at the heart of what went wrong. You know, in in a way, he was almost too honoured. You know, he he saw it as some sort of privilege. You know, that, that he was the one who should be grateful for being manager of Manchester United. He was the one who wouldn't park in the boss's space, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in a way, it was sort of symptomatic of the whole thing, you know, whether or not it's a good thing, <clears throat> you get the, the top managers now, indeed like Pochettino, you know, who, who will who will consider themselves, you know, to be in a position where they are the powerful people at the club. You know, you know they, they, they will say it's a great honour, but you, know, you can't, basically, you can't imagine... When any of these managers sort of leave, they will sit down, or or if they're sacked, which which Solskjaer was, particularly if they're sacked and they're not going of their own volition to give that sort of interview. But yeah, you know, I've got no problem with it. He wants to get that across to the fans, and that's and that's and that's fine, no problem at all. The interim bit, I mean, it's ironic, you know, because essentially, you know, I mean, people were getting all wound up about the idea of them looking for an interim manager. But listen, let's face it, they've had an interim manager for three years, so they're pretty much used to it, aren't they? You know, I mean, I mean, the guy that—that's—that's that's all he's ever been, and and that, that sounds harsh, but we know that really. You know, you, you so that so they're used to that. The, the 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 thought, the thing I thought about that statement about, you know, they didn't need to actually do that. You know, there was no need to actually say in the statements we are looking for. You know, I mean, all they had to. Michael Carrick will take charge of, of of the team. You know, in in Tuesday's game against Villarreal. And that's it. You really don't need to say anything else. You know, you don't shouldn't actually... Shouldn't they need... be transparent for the fans? Sorry? Because, I mean, we, we, shouldn't we within be transparent for the fans? I mean, it, well, it did amuse me that Michael Carrick suddenly became the interim interim, basically, didn't he? Because, you Yes, know, exactly. Exactly. He said, oh, we're after an interim manager. But then, basically, if Carrick takes the team for, you know, for Tuesday in Villarreal and then at the weekend, well, you know, what does that make? Is he the interim interim? Well, he is really, isn't he? He's the caretaker before. He's the caretaker before the interim. He's the caretaker interim. <laughs> totally. But no. But the, the the first thing I thought was, well, if, if they're saying right, you know, I thought, first of all, I thought I don't know why you even need to say this. Secondly, I'm thinking, well, if they are saying, well, we're looking for an interim until the end of the season, made me think. And I don't know why I should think that United have got this all planned out because they've had very little planned out in any in any aspect of the football operation for a long time. <laughs> But what it made me think was that even even had Solskjaer stayed, they had someone lined up to come in next summer, and they've got someone lined up to come in next summer. And whether that's Pochettino or not, I don't know. But that made me think, well, you know what? They're saying now that whatever happens, you know, there is someone next summer. They must be down the road in in, in getting that someone next summer. And it it just it just makes that's what more made me think, which contradicts the idea they gave Solskjaer the new contract. So it's all, as with the United, very, very confusing. It also then begs the question, you're saying, well, being transparent, but then the fans will know that, you know, so what happens? What happens if the interim manager, I mean, first of all, what happens if Carrick wins at Stamford Bridge on Sunday? Do you then get the interim manager in and Carrick's won two out of two? Then what happens if you get the interim manager in and he takes Manchester United to the top four, he wins the Champions League with him, unlikely, but he does that. And he wins the Premier, and he wins the FA Cup. Say, does the interim manager then go at the end of the season? You know, and that's all this creates, isn't it? This this sort of madness. There is precedent for saying, for example, we are going to change our manager at the end of the season. Bayern Munich did it. Mm. Um, you know, when Pep Guardiola was coming in, but I doubt if United have got someone like a Pep Guardiola lined up to come in next summer. And Bayern, of course, that year won the treble as well, and the manager still went. 
But it just creates this confusion. You know, when does, how long do you give the caretaker? How long do you give the interim? What happens if the caretaker does well? What happens if the interim does well? Mm. Um, and as I say, this idea, I immediately thought that United have got someone sorted out for next summer. I'm thinking, well, if they did, then, you know, why was that new contract for Solskjaer? So it, 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 as, as usual, basically, with United, it leaves more questions than answers. Yeah. Matt, if 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 United do, you know, end up getting Maurizio Pochettino in the long term, what 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 you know, I mean, I can't remember whether you're one of the Maurizio fairly gang. ambivalent about the whole thing. Are you? Me. Right, okay. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I don't know, I don't know whether she would let Greatest you on. Manager that, to be never to win anything in England, yeah. No, um, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Should yeah, I'll move swiftly on. Jeremy, anyway. Uh, no, um, no, no. What what manager what manager would United be getting in in the long term? Well, as I only says, the whole thing only makes any sense if they've got some stellar name that they that they can land in the summer. And everyone's ah, oh, that's what you were planning all along. Uh, and and <laughs> well, I look forward to that day when they make that announcement because <laughs> then we all start thinking very differently about Edward Wood's management of the you know ultimate management of the club. Because um, at the moment it just seems like a horlicks. If they went for Pochettino now, it's going to cost them ten million pounds when they could have got him for nothing for a period, you know, a year ago, uh, you know, all that time after he'd been, you know, we all thought that Levy had landed him in, in Old Trafford's lap when when he sacked him uh, way back when. Um, but, uh, yeah, the whole thing just seems like a muddle. And, and the manager they need is, it needs to be that global name that you think, oh, that, that, that's the plan. Because at the moment they're just directionless. And for all that, that people talk about Fergie's long time getting going. You know, he'd won the European Cup. He was a, a, an established manager before he got to Old Trafford. He was seen as the best young manager at the time. It didn't work for a while, but they stuck with him, and it did eventually work because he was a good manager, you know, by his nature. And, and by the same token, they've got to be going for somebody, that, you know, who, who's doing something. But the trouble is the candidates aren't really there. They're people living on past reputations a lot. A lot of the time, like Zidane, who perhaps has something to prove, doesn't seem interested. But that's the sort of calibre of manager they need to be going for. Somebody who's, if not won something, then in Pochettino's case, come very close, but shown a lot of positives as if, you know, he, you know, he could be the finished article. But I would say that Pochettino is the kind of the entry level of, of what sort of calibre of manager that you're looking for. And, and you, you just can't afford, they can't get this one wrong. Um, otherwise, it, it's more time in the doldrums because you kind of built a road for your own back and you've got to give him two or three years like Solskjaer had, you know, whoever you appoint this summer. Matt, do you think Pochettino is an elite manager? I think he's right on the cusp because he, he in those big games he's not made it, but I think he's shown enough at Spurs in building quite an impressive project there to show that he has the management credentials, but he hasn't got the CV yet to do it. So that's what I'm saying. He's right at the entry level. You know, any CV which has his credentials and above. I think they're the only ones that you should be considering. I mean, you talk about other younger managers like Newcastle gone for Eddie Howe. That that's way off the ballpark. United needs someone more established than than some. You don't want to. I mean, even Brendan Rodgers is a struggle to say that he's got the caliber. I mean, he's close with Liverpool again. He's one perhaps knocking knocking on the door of that elite level that are on the list. But he's not the one that Manchester United are going to say if they announce him in the summer. That's not Manchester United fans all taking to the streets saying, hallelujah, we are, we see what's been going on all this time. All hail Brendan, you know, I can see what you were playing at because that's just not going to swing it for United fans, is it? You, it's got to be mega. It's got to be properly stellar this summer. Mm. You don't think Pochettino is? I mm. think he's, he's the, the bottom level of Pochettino. Uh, Pochettino's the bottom level of, of, of that class. But he is just in that club. I mean, you can see where they're going if they appoint him and what they're trying to do. Who is who's top of that class? I tell you what, what Pochettino does have in his favour. I mean, it's clearly obvious from the noises coming out of Paris that he, he, he's really keen on the United job. Mm. One thing he does have in his favour is Fergie is a massive fan of his. Mm. Fergie really rates him and thinks he's got huge potential to, to turn United around. So. And Fergie's, Fergie's opinion still carries huge weight at, at United, you know. So, you know, I, I would be very surprised if it's not Pochettino who they unveil sometime next summer. 
Mm. But Rogers, I think Rogers would also be a good fit. You know, he wouldn't like Matt said, he wouldn't his Liverpool connections would make him unpopular with supporters, but you've got to put the man in charge who um is the right fit. And you know, he won a trophy with Leicester. Should have won the title with Liverpool, really, but for, for that one infamous slip from Gerard. So, you know, won a lot of trophies at Celtics. He knows he knows how to win. So I think either of them mm. would be good appointments. Mm. It is yeah. it is it is remarkable, isn't it, that, that, that you've got, and this is probably modern football, but you've got Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester United in some sort of, you know, seemingly in some sort of uh, tug of war over a manager who's basically won nothing, you know, in a long time. You know, won, won, won the French Cup or, or, or whatever. Um, I mean, Pochettino has got some some PR behind him, that's for sure. Um, you know, and I think... Pochettino? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and he, obviously, he, he, that, that builds up over a period of time. <laughs> well, I think there's a few willing candidates. Trust me. Exactly. Do you, do, you, do you think Pochettino would be that built up over a period of time? Um, when he when he was at Spurs, there's no doubt about it. I'm not saying it was the Southern-based media that was sort of responsible essentially for this, but listen, 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 there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. His reputation exceeds his achievements. You cannot even begin to deny that. You, you know that I is can. just fact. Absolute fact. No. And you know, and, no. and those I, I do people. deny that, and I'll tell you why. I think you do? yeah, I do, I do, I do. I think that basically I've not always been completely on board with it. And I do think we reached a stage when we were heralding this guy as the best manager in the world, when the obvious question was, go on and show us your trophies. Well, he, he hasn't won the trophies, but he has take he took over Spurs when Spurs were clinging to the coattails of the Europa League, yeah. basically sort of pushers, basically qualifiers. And he turned them into Champions League mainstays. He produced exciting football. He promoted homegrown young players. He championed the academy, he championed youth development. He then did the absolute impossible, which was to take Tottenham to a Champions League final. Tottenham in the Champions League final? Are you sure? Then then, they're 90 minutes away from the greatest moment in the club's history. Yes, okay, they're beaten. But 1-0 during the second half, you're thinking, blimey, they couldn't, could they? You've got a half-fit Harry Kane and basically, you know, a few others besides who are not quite fit. (laughs) He has done the near impossible with them, and I do he think yes, yes, he, yes, he gets a you know he gets a fantastic ride. I think by sections of the media, and I just like think he has done it. a remarkable, remarkable job at Tottenham. Like but say. he ticks so many boxes for United. Yeah, he's got in a terms of of play. campaign behind him, money. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but Jeremy, the, the reason for that is because I think when you spend he time... He so his... many boxes for, for, for United, just to I finish I agree with you. Yeah. development, style yeah. of football, and, and also, and also he's, got, box. he's got Fergie, Fergie right behind him. We even did a story the other day. I mean, far bit for me to champion my own, but basically, you know, the United players were, talk, were talking amongst themselves about how much Fergie likes him. I mean, they, they are convinced that, that, that Pochettino will be the next manager. No, is it, I mean, is it, you know, and, and that, that will be the case. I, I, get, I get the, you, I don't think you can possibly think that you can get a really top elite manager out of another super club now at the click of a fingers. So basically, you know, doing the interim thing, you know, is, is a strange concept. I mean, if they go and sign Belverde, to to take the club until the summer. I mean, you know what's going to happen. He'll give them a lift because that's what new experienced managers do. And then basically they'll say, oh, maybe they should get Valverde. No, they shouldn't. They should stick to a plan. And basically, you know, it says on the script here, Valverde, so I'm going on a rant, but um, Valverde, and it says here, Ned, I'm sorry, Ned, but I'm taking issue here. Valverde looks likely to fill interim role. Dash concerns over not exactly setting the world on fire with Barcelona. Question mark. Well, actually, Ned, sorry, mate, I don't mean to take the task here, pal, but actually, he did a brilliant job at Barcelona. He actually won trophies and kept them competitive and was unlucky to lose his job 
And look what's happened since. He is a decent, experienced manager. And I can totally understand that way of thinking. I think it's very unusual. I think, it, you know, will it work? Well, let's see. I mean, basically, the players know that know they're playing for a manager who's going to go at the end of the season. What a strange concept that is. But that's the reality. And then Pochettino, clear, clearly, I think Pochettino would like, to, would like the job. Desperate to come back to English football. And I think he'd be a great choice. Chris, for, do you think, do you think it's possible to label someone an elite manager if they've not won anything? Think, yeah, I, I always think Pep well, Guardiola does. Right, I and know, that's what Pep Guardiola said the other day. So I think he's you should a judge a manager judge. on how much he wins. Yeah. Why do you think we lord Brian Clough so much? Because he won two two European Cups with Nottingham Forest. That's why he's regarded as one of the greats. If he'd never mm. not won those two European Cups, would Brian Clough be held in the same esteem as he is today? Great point. Well, it's what made him special, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, if you talk about Forrest did that at a different time. Yeah, For all, Pochettino mate, to take Tottenham. You, you talk to about Champions League final is astonishing. Absolutely. How is it astonishing? You're talking about spares here as though there's some sort of, oh, you might well consider him as some sort of minnow, some sort of. No, David against Goliath. They're a huge club. I mean, like, you know, what do you mean? But they were I mean, struggling to get into the Europa Chelsea League. Chelsea got to the final of the Champions League. Liverpool have like been to the final. Manchester oh. City have been to the final. Oh, are, you, are you trying to tell me Spurs are some sort of, as I say, some sort of some sort of underdogs, some sort of minnows that, that he took over? Absolutely not at all. Compared I mean, to those giants. Cool. Compared to those giants when he took them over. Sorry. <laughs> We'll, 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 agree, we'll, agree, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> Who's in charge oh, of disagreement Pos- today? I love it. Who's hey, in charge of Poch's campaign? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Can I say this, Andy, just quickly? What reason that Poch gets such good PR is because he pulls people along with him. It's a, it's a human reaction to him. And in the same way, that's how he pulls dressing rooms along with him. He manages well, the media in the same way as he manages the dressing yeah. room. He's very adept. Uh, uh, getting people on on his side, uh, and that's why he gets so much positive PR. And that's why all Mourinho, when he first arrived, you'd run through walls. You know his players had run through walls for him. You know he could barely speak English, uh, and you just had something about him that made you feel like you wanted. You know a lot of people well, wanted to, what, to do the there same. Weren't, there weren't anyone running through walls. I was going to say. Cross no, no, just no, 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 Try good luck managing that dressing room because it's, it didn't work for Tuchel, and that then Tuchel, what a few months later, wins the Champions League. He's he, you know, so much of a mug he is, he couldn't he couldn't unify that dressing room no more than Pochettino can. And now we're lording Tuchel as, as an absolute genius, uh, and, hey, and hey, understandably John. so. But I do think that Pochettino goes beyond the media campaign. You speak to respected people within the game, there's a great account on on on. Twitter, for example, the training ground guru, who really speaks to people within within the game, within the game, talk to you know, he speaks to people about his training methods, about the statistics, about about you know, really innovative progress. You talk to players that played with him as I as I've done in the past. The guy absolutely you know breaks players early early on in training and drills them and he drills them in a way that has brought two short success at Chelsea and he'll do the same at United he really will yeah hey, hey, it's so, more so, than a John, media campaign I trust you there's substance so, so John no, that, that, that's perfect I look forward to the, 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 the brochure the posh brochure or, or whatever it is <laughs> but anyway but what I would also say you, you say you say well he can't get you, you, you know, it, it's a, it's a, you know, terrible, a terribly hard dressing room to, um, to handle at Paris Saint Germain. It is. It's not going to be at Man United, is it at all? You know, not by comparison, totally. Not by comparison, no. No. So Ronaldo's not going to be difficult. Pogba's no? not going to be difficult if he's still there. Not by comparison, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure, Crossy. Well, an amazing insight recently into the PSG dressing room, which will blow your mind. It's unworkable, unmanageable, and frankly, until they address structural issues at the club, no manager. Sir Alex Ferguson in his heyday. Oh yeah, it will Arsene be Wenger fun, is sure. his, in his absolute pomp. Jurgen Klopp would not be able to manage that. No, Crossy, why did it go so wrong for Poch at Tottenham? Twenty nineteen, I think it was obvious that that team had reached the end. He you know, it was an amazing achievement to to get it there. 
and that team needed and the squad needed a complete overhaul, complete revamp. And um, the squad. Um, but that squad had just got to the Champions League final. It reached the end. Not being funny, but it's easy to say that. But when you when you when you follow them like that, it, it, you know they 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 fell apart in the league. It needed this. The, the defense was aging. You couldn't go forward with the defense. Basically, you needed a, one more in midfield. You know what about Harry, the Harry Kane issue if he gets injured again, which he obviously duly did. You need to find solutions. They needed at least. Just they need to, to move cross, on. Crossy, but they've not replaced Ericsson. He'd had no. enough that summer. Uh, yeah. And that was a big loss. They've just not ticked since then. No. And, well, uh, why did they, they blow it in Leicester's year? Naivety as much as anything. Deli Ali oh. losing his cool. Leicester's um, well, excuses never ends. Hey, but who was top of the table that year? Going in January the 1st, that year Leicester won. It was Arsenal. They're the ones who really bottled it. Spurs were the only oh, ones who kept the race going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they had Vega there, who's the greatest manager to sell books or whatever, or whatever you want to do, to, <laughs> to slice bread. But, uh, but no, that was... Mauricio even likes the Wenger book. I mean, what? Now we get it. Right. Anyway, listen, who do we think, right, is going to be the next? I mean, Valverde, if he gets the job into him, fine. But basically, who? let's go around the room. Come on, who's going to be next Man United manager? <laughs> Jeremy, come on. Yeah, permanently? Yeah. I think it'll be Pochettino. I think he's he, getting an elite, elite manager, you know, someone who's won 10, 12 trophies. I just don't think they're capable of doing that between now and the start of next season, so I think they'll go for Pochettino, who clearly wants the job. Yeah. Andy? I think it will be Pochettino. I, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be the right choice, but I think it will be Ooh. Pochettino. Matt? No, yeah, I think it'll be Pochettino. I think it will be the right choice. Um, what, what, why, not <laughs> Rafa Benitez? why not Rafa Benitez as interim, though? Because I think that would be amusing. It wouldn't be the right choice at all, but it would be amusing to watch for a few months in the meantime. Yeah, That'd be brilliant. I'd be delighted. You know he does you know a good what? interim, doesn't he? Well, I tell you what, yeah, um, yeah, he does do a good interim. Actually, here I am saying that it's never really worked before, never really had it, and that's that's a lie. And Di Matteo, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, sorry, Di Matteo and the Champions. Di Matteo. League. I was going to. I was going to say. Good hitting. Good hitting. Actually, enjoyed some success. You know, he had a couple of spells as. As interim, it can it can work, is what I'm trying to say. You know, I mean, Carrick Carrick clearly is is holding the fort, and then let's and then let's see, really. But it's um, it will be uh, it's an interesting one because United are still within touching distance of top four. Let's potch off. That'll, for be, you. that'll be the phone. There's pot. Sorry, guys, just give me one minute. Hello, oh, Mauricio. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I mean, they're still within touching distance of the top four, and they qualify for the Champions League knockout stages. So, I guess they've bought they've bought themselves a little bit of time. Is is, is what I'm trying to is what I'm trying yeah. to say, basically. United's opponents at um, at the weekend, really. Chelsea. I mean, uh, uh, Matt, you and I were at Stamford Bridge uh, Tuesday night to beat Juventus, one of the giants. No matter what state they're in now, they're still managed by Max Allegri. Now, it is a giant of, of, of European football management, by the way. Uh, they beat him 4-0. Uh, what a performance that was. Matt, I, mean, I think know, that's one of the problems average. of the Champions League group games is you do play against some fairly average teams in these games and you get a bit blasé to the odd 4-0. But you sit back and think, yeah, hang on a sec. These are the champions of Italy. Mm. These are, you know, that they... That they're supposed to arrive with something more. They were played off the park from the first second, well, second minute. I think mm. Chelsea first broke through them. They just they were second best all over the the park all day, and uh, you know, and you did have to pinch yourself that you know it was Juventus it was only in the sort of at the end that the stat emerged. Juventus's worst defeat in the Champions League. That's I mean, no one beats them four 0 No one's ever beaten them four uh, nil, and it just seemed so easy for Chelsea and. Yeah, no, that was an incredible performance and also built on some bright young English talent, as somebody cleverly pointed out in the uh, post-match 
interviews with Thomas Tuchel from very close range, it has to be said. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yes, yes. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's it was a it was a social media hit me leaning into the in with so much noise in the terrifying. Background. I think Tuchel was, was going to agree with anything you said. Looking terrifying prospect. Frankly, it was probably probably lucky that it was done on Tuesday night because subsequent to then I've had a tooth out and you probably see the glaring <laughs> massive great gap in my mouth basically. So it's probably lucky that it was done Tuesday night, not. Uh, not since, but um, I mean, I have to say, uh, Chelsea. What a you know, Tuchel is is living proof, isn't he, Andy? That basically you, you know, if if you are considering changing a manager mid season, the way that he's got them drilled and playing, the top of the league in the Premier League, and you know they're absolutely flying now in in the Champions League too. What a what a job he's done, isn't he? It's done a very good job. Yeah, a very good job. He's got a very good squad. He had a very good squad. He inherited a very good squad that was that was underachieving. You know, no, no doubt about that. Um, they've got they've got enormous resources. I mean, just look at the players they've got on loan for a start off. Like you know, you know, they've got players out on loan who are playing for England, haven't played for Chelsea yet. You know, I mean that that is how that is how that that is the extent of Chelsea's resources. Don't forget that we talk about Manchester City and about other clubs about Manchester United, even about PSG. For example, who's I mean, just look at their bench last night, phenomenal. But but you know, Chelsea have got likewise, they've got similar resources. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't in any way sort of um, take anything away from the job that Tuchel's got because he transformed them and he got them into the, you know, he won them in the Champions League, and he's doing a, a very very good job this season. Um, but he has got an extremely good squad. I, I have to say what, and again, this is something else that I. Um, Two things about Tuchel that, that, that strike me. One is that if defensively, you know, for all the um, um, the attacking flair they showed um, against Juventus, defensively they are absolutely outstanding. I mean, they are outstanding. And I'm like, is it? I'm not sure. Is it? Have they, have they conceded only four goals in the Premier League? I think. It's, Sorry, I'll tell you one stat that there are 31 clean sheets in his first 50 games, which is yeah. Well, I, 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 think it's, um, I, I think it's I think it's four goals this this, this year in this season, the Premier League. You know, it's an astonishing, um, mm. it's an astonishing stat. And you know what? Yeah, if four. you've got that to start with, then and, and that's the one thing you know about him in terms of defensively, fantastic. You know, I think credit must go to again to, to recruitment. You know, before his time, um, you know, the recruitment of the goalkeeper clearly was 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 a was a fantastic piece of scouting and recruitment. You know, I think Peter Cech probably had a lot to do with that. Um, Thiago Silva, and the sentence at the time, would always go down as one of the great free transfers. He'll give him two seasons of 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 calm and assurance, and that's fantastic. I also think the other thing that you know. And just with referencing United, I mean, only briefly again, that is the one thing that I notice that if you look at Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea in particular, and then United, is it, is it, is it, it's a, it's a fundamental thing, but they are unbelievably fit. You know, the, 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 the fitness levels of mm. these teams mm. headed by Chelsea are just remarkable. I mean, they really are. They are setting new standards in that. And that's a huge help. So yeah, so, so I mean, yeah, Nancy, question. He's doing a fantastic job. Um, that is, I mean, we, as I say, I, I think he he probably couldn't believe his luck taking over that sort of squad. Um, you know, relatively early in the season, and um, and he's making the most of it. You know, and and I mean, what else can you say other than they're going to be a formidable rival for Liverpool and City in what could be one of the most exciting title races, albeit only between three teams that we've seen for a long time. Mm, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it'd be um, it'll be it'll be very interesting. I do, I do think because Liverpool, you know, seem also seem to be playing extremely, extremely well, don't they? Really, the the title yeah. race is, show, is shaping up incredibly, incredibly nicely. Really, um, listen, guys, let's move on to 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 Gareth Southgate's uh, new contract, and um, that was quite an interesting development. This this week wasn't it, and um, he's signing on for another two years. Um, they, they, you know, there's another media favourite. To be fair, isn't there? Basically, <laughs> Jeremy, what did you make? What did you make of the? Um, you know, Mark Bullingham was pretty strong on his words, saying that basically there were no no pay rise. It'll be it'll be um, incentive based 
and Gareth Southgate was was happy to embrace that. And uh, what, what did you make of that? On bearing in mind, obviously, the FA have been through a difficult year with, with redundancies, job cuts, and various cuts throughout the organisation on top of huge losses. The right thing to do? Yeah, I think in that, that part of the scenario is sensible. You know, I don't think Southgate's driven by money. I think we all, everyone on this conversation knows knows him pretty well enough to say that he's, he's not... He's not motivated by how much he earns. He just absolutely genuinely loves being England manager and, um, you know, wants to just wants to win something with them. He's come close, obviously. Taken them so far and uh, since 2016, they're unrecognisable really as a national team. Mm. And obviously, you know, with that FA, I mean, the financial problems, um, like, like most people have in the wake of the pandemic, um, laid a lot of people off. So, you know, it would have been pretty crass to have, Given Southgate a new deal, doubling his money, which was suggested, so um, I think that was sensible. Now the other debate is: is is the timing right? Is it? Is it? Have the FA left themselves open to, you know, folly? If you, if if for want of a better word, should, what would happen if, you know, England flopped in Qatar and didn't make it through the group? You know, would would that then look like a silly decision to keep Southgate? obviously got a lot of credit in the bank and would they sack him? Maybe not, but there'd be huge, huge questions asked about is he is he still the right man to, to, to keep us going? So, you know, it's a sort of difficult situation for the FA, but, you know, listen, I'm pleased he's signed a new deal. I'm slightly surprised. I thought he might have mm. held off. I think it, there's no secret he wants to work back in club management at some stage and six years is a long time to be England manager. We all know what the demands are like. It's, it's, it's non-stop, relentless, you know, Southgate's often having to field questions about a whole manner of topics unrelated to football. So, you know, I mean, he deals with that really well. Um, so I'm pleased personally. I think he's a great manager. He's done, you know, he's good for the England team. The players clearly like him a lot and respect him and perform for him. So, you know, we can go to the World Cup confident we can have another good tournament. But, you know, if it doesn't go well, um, where does that leave Southgate in there Yeah, Andy, Andy, the right timing and the right time scale. It's um, it, the new deal, by the way, takes him up to December 2024, which interested me simply because I think it's really dangerous territory to have a manager out of contract at the end of a tournament. So it takes him past the Euros 2024. And I think if you go into that tournament at the end of the contract, rather like Roy Hodgson did in 2016, you were lamed up. The players don't know whether they're coming or going. They're not going to respond so much. I I think that was quite a good planning. It surprised me, rather like Jeremy, just because I think he wants club management. He's made that pretty clear. It'll be, you know, that'll be eight years by the time he completes Yeah. The longest manager since Sir Bobby Robson, basically. Yeah. But but if a club came along, you know, um, the type of club job came along after... World Cup 2022, and he wants to go. I'm sure that there are things in place where he could, where, where he would go. You know, simple as that. I mean, the FA would have, I presume, a compensation figure if someone came in for Southgate after 2022, and um, and he would go in the same way that I think you know there will probably be. I imagine, um, you know, there might be something in his contract that suggests that you know if if, if they do have a. Um, a disastrous 2022 and it was decided Southgate should go then presumably there is a figure that they would have to pay you know whether that be the full two years or not you, you don't know presumably you know these little the legalities of it as we all know the concept really doesn't it doesn't commit it, it, it does on paper but in reality it doesn't commit Southgate to the job until 2024 m- m- much of that would depend on um on what happens in 2022, and also, and also, it's symbolic, isn't it? It's symbolic. They, they. I think there should be I, I, normally after obviously the the fiasco of 2010, where the FA um, took out the release clause, the escape clause um, they had in Fabio Capello's contrast prior to 2010. And then, of course, he stank the place out, and, and you're stuck with a highly paid manager. <laughs> After that, you know, I I was always very wary. I thought essentially that international managers should be judged on a tournament by tournament basis. What would soften me on this occasion is that I think there also has to be an element, I think, of of reward. You know, I mean, the guy has taken England to a World Cup semi final. Mm. So close to getting to that World Cup final. 
He's then taking he's taking England to you know that Nations League final, which is by the by to a certain extent. But he then takes England to um, a, a Euro uh, final. He goes a calendar year if you count it to the game as as a draw rather than a defeat, um, unbeaten. And and I think as well as as much as I as much as my principle would be judge them tournament by tournament, I do think he's got to the stage where there should be actually be an element of reward and acknowledgement of what he's actually done since he took over um, in 2016. And I think, so I've got, so, so, so that basically wins out for me. So I, I, I think I've got no issue really with, with the extension of the contract. And as I say, listen, we all know, Gareth knows, the FA know, that if he goes and loses all three group games, of, you know, Qatar 2022, he's just gone anyway. It's He's just probably gone with a, with a financial cushion or he's gone with someone to pay compensation, sir. Yeah. So let me just check. You, you, you know, you, you really want to see a manager who's taken a team from being ridiculously underperforming, really disappointing in the past, uh, to a really exciting team with a different generation coming through. John, John um, have they won a long term? A long term job um, takes them to a final. Unfortunately, they lose that final. Mm. But you're saying that that manager should be rewarded, even though he hasn't won anything. Yeah. But they did reach a final. So you're saying that basically should be rewarded and he should be regarded in international circles as a good manager. Absolutely. Oh, good, good. I'll just check. <laughs> right, I mean, okay. Don't try, don't try and somehow compare this with this. Oh, uh, well, I will. I think I will. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's not. It's going to be seen as Apple over here and pear over here. Exactly the same. Absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> gotcha. Matt Dunn, yesterday you and I um, were, wrote on the um, uh, Tracy Crouch's uh, fan-led review on, on football. Yes, and indeed. We, 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 we both spoke to her, didn't we? And yeah. I don't know what you thought, but I thought it was a really interesting report, many, many interesting developments. Do you think, I mean, I'm, I'm told it will be, you know, embraced by the government and, and, you know, the momentum will carry through. Do you think it will work? Do you think it will have the impact? Do you think it went far enough? I think it's the best chance we've got. And in terms of it going far enough, I think if it had tried to stretch any further, then the whole thing would have been in danger of unravelling. I think that the the strength of this particular review, unlike Greg Dyke's FA Commission, where he tried to change everything and have B teams and all sorts of things mm. that were never, ever going to be allowed to work. And he wasted a lot of money and resources putting together a report that was just a complete non-starter. This one is, is uh, I was going to say, couched or crouched in the terms that uh, um, the, the, the Premier League are going to find it hard to knock aside because it is a sane assessment of where we are. It's based on legitimate concerns um, and, and it's actually coming up with what seems to be workable suggestions as to, mm. I mean, this transfer levy, if it's not 10%, it could still be 5% and there's money there that wasn't before. Um, and, and the devil is going to always be in that details. But, but what it seems is an excellent basis for a negotiation now between Football with the stick of government behind it all saying, look, you're going to have to bend quite a lot further than you think you're going to. Otherwise, we will start legislating. The only thing at the end of it is it's not a cure-all. Um, I don't think under the new system that, for instance, those that don't particularly approve of uh, the Saudi ownership of Newcastle, I don't think this is a, an answer to that. That that would still happen under this new um, these new. Well, proposals. she said she didn't know to me. She, yeah, she, she said she wouldn't comment specifically, but she also pointed out when I that um, that PIF have been allowed to buy shares in Disney and things like that. So when you use you basically, she's trying to bring a, a business mindset into the world of football uh, and run it along business lines. And there are just certain things you just can't in a free market. You can't just pick and choose who you want. So that, that is st still tied up to those limitations. So mm -hmm. I, I think it would have been looked at a lot more carefully than it was, for instance, that Newcastle thing. But I think ultimately it might have struggled to, to make a, a difference in, in the reasoning. But that's the fact of the matter. You can't just have what you want. You can't have the owners you want. You can't just pick and choose. You've got to be realistic. And that's fundamentally what's important about this. 
um, report is it's realistic um, in what it can achieve. Uh, the levy thing is important. The fan ownership and the golden share, I think, is going to be finally tying up something that football's kind of held on to all the way through its history, but is looking more and more dodgy. And there have been a couple of occasions, like MK Dons, for instance, where where major changes have been allowed to happen with no one really able to stop it. Well, that well, that loophole will be tied up. Um, and then at a basic level to help funding, you know, finally, you know, goodness, you know, having been at the Euro 2020 final, you, you wonder whether this is sensible, but but drinking at grounds and things and treating fans like grown-ups, well, I think that's something that we were perhaps ready for, but need to also show we're not going to abuse. Um, but it's a way of clubs making more revenue. And, and that's fundamental at the, the lower level. The other thing that's interesting is the licensing um, side of things will only yeah. stretch down to the top tier of the National League. I think in too many small clubs are trying to be run professionally and full-time, lower down. And and so we've got to accept that perhaps some of these clubs aren't sustainable and are healthier as, as part-timers. And I think there's got to be a certain amount of realism about how much of a pyramid the Premier League can support. Um, but yeah, all very sensible. I, there was nothing there that you think, oh, I don't think she's got... You know, she's obviously spent a lot of time speaking to a lot of people. Uh, and, uh, and and including people in the Premier League, which was another mistake of the Greg Dyke Commission, is that the Premier League weren't involved. They've got a kind of involvement in this, and I think they're going to be pulled along. How the negotiations mm. go from here is anyone's business, but, but with a bit of government backing, I, I think they could, could uh, actually wake the Premier League up to their responsibilities. Yeah, I do, I do, I, my 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 issue with it. I mean, the, the report took some reading, had a limited time to read it. Um, 162 pages, wasn't it? and basically, you know, within that, you know, there, there was evidence given that Birmingham were 100 million in debt. Reading had spent what 125 percent of their of their wage bill, and Derby and administration. Andy, I can see you're, you're throwing your yeah. hands up in the air in despair. And frankly, I just feel as if, like, why, why do clubs expect to be bailed out? Exactly. And it's it's like I'm sorry, but the Premier League, you know. A lot of people say the Premier League should do more. The levy seems a good idea. But come on, it's been unrealistic to get Premier League clubs to bail out wealthy owners in the Championship. It might be worth more than their money. I mean, it's... Well, exactly. It's, it's, and, and, it just makes no sense that And way. it goes... You know, it, listen, the, the levy idea has is, is, you know, been doing around since the year dot, you know, and, and listen, they already pay. You know, they already they, they already pay goodwill payments to um, lower down the pyramid. We know that. It's just a question of how much you want them to pay. It's mm. as simple as that. But do you throw good money after bad? You know, the the, the examples you mentioned there, you know, Reading, um, you know, Reading, you know, over 10 years. I mean, this is a club that was in the Premier League for one of those years, yeah. you know, yeah. £220 million basically blown. You know, it, it, it's astonishing. You know, and as you, as you mentioned, the, the, the wages to income um, ratio, I think it's something like they were paying £2.78 for every pound in wage costs for every pound they were getting as income. So what do you do? You just keep on bailing clubs out. And, you know, that. how do you regulate then what that money gets spent on? So no matter how much, you know, a levy is a levy. So as I say, they're making payments anyway already and you, you just want them to pay more. And, you know, in theory, when you look at it, you think, well, you know, yes, look at all these figures they should do. You look at the amount they pay agents, for example. Why can't they pay that lower down the leagues? But what's to stop clubs lower down the leagues when they get that money? You've then got to stop them spending it on on outrageous wages for players, whether they be in the Championship League, One League, Two, National League. You know, listen, I know National League players. I know National League players who are earning two and a half grand a week. You know, two and a half, three grand a week. You know, we probably all do. So, and if they get more money, they'll just spend more on wages because the promised land is the land that you want to be taking the money from. So they yeah. all want to spend more and more money to get to the Premier League who we now want to get more and more money back down. And it's... You know, it's it's no one can argue with the idea. No one can argue with the principle of that. But and you know, the other things they do there. I mean, I don't. I don't want to be. I agree, Matt. You know, there's a lot of sensible things there, and I think I think certainly the protection of fans' interests is is paramount. And stop fans being ripped off. Have a say in how the clubs are run. But the other principles, like we're trying to stop clubs going to the wall. Well. They are few and far between. They remain few and far between. The story yeah. of Barry is remains 
you know, an isolated one to a certain extent. I think Macclesfield was ref- referenced. And yeah, that's a, that, that, that's an, a sad story. However, from the ashes of Macclesfield, you know, you've got our colleague on the mirror, Robbie Savage, creating mm. a team that's now getting, you know, 4,000 people, you know, turn up to watch non-league. If you look at the crowd through the um, through the leagues, you know, I mean, we only have to... Talk, look, the non-league crowds at the moment are sensational. And I'm not saying nothing's broken. I'm not saying it's not broke, don't fix it. But, you know, this idea, and I think it's mentioned about, you know, football being on some sort of precipice, it just isn't from where I'm sitting. It just isn't. I, you know, it, it, it really isn't. But I do understand when we're reading things like, never mind just football transfers and the levy, we're reading the fact that, you know, the Premier League rights are now being sold in the States for, I, I can't remember, you know, three billion pounds, however much it is. Mm. I do understand why you might want more to go filter down, but it's how you then govern it, how it's filtered down. Yeah. There, there was a figure, there was an amazing figure, wasn't there? 960 million pound losses in a financial year, um, in, in a financial year, uh, Matt, which was, which was, uh, interesting for Premier League clubs. And that was 2019, 20 before the full extent of, of, of the pandemic oh, had kicked on, it kicked in. They also singled out Brighton as, as, you know, the losses there and the mm. you know financial difficulties, you know, facing Brighton. Now I always think of Brighton as, and I still, well, I still do as brilliantly run, well-owned, super new stadium, great setup, exciting manager, exciting, you know, sort of style of play and, 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 and way of running the club. And yet you think, well, if it's affecting them, you know, who are responsibly and brilliantly run, mm. yeah, what hope for the rest of us? I get Andy's point, but I do think that, you know, I do think football is facing huge financial I, I, I do think we're, yeah, you can't be too blase about it. And I think that's, it's the dry part of the report. And goodness knows it's a long enough report to have dry parts. <laughs> but the licensing side of things, I think, I don't think people, it didn't make so much many of the headlines this morning because it's not the sort of sexy part of it. But but there is going to be quite close um assessment of clubs finances going forward as part of these plans the idea is that clubs can't overspend on their wages they can't do all these things without um sort of without permission to put money in even you can't even put money in um investments into the club unless you've actually got the money so you can't develop you know academies against future ticket sales it's a way of keeping the lid on and by putting those scare stories in there, I mean, Brighton, yeah, that opened my eyes because you think, oh, they must have saved up a few bob from a few years in the Premier League. But no, they, because they're competing to stay in the Premier League and they're having to sort of cautiously overspend as much as everybody, there isn't a lot of money awash at that end of the, the table either. But there is enough money coming into the game to sustain five tiers of professional football to a different mm. degree and it doesn't leagues one and two although they're overinflated, properly managed it doesn't take a huge amount of money compared to premier league uh, amounts to keep those safe and it preserves the pyramid which is the strength of the pyramid is one of the key things that that tracy crouch mm. to to use matt, to support football yeah Jeremy. matt can i just ask you when you read the report what 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 did it tell you that you didn't already know about the state of football it was a few of those figures were quite interesting that that Premier League clubs aren't necessarily you know just on the gravy train. Um, but it, it what it do you mean? What pulled, do you mean? Well, like that Brighton example right, okay. um, is that. But having said that, that's only because everyone in the Premier League is overspending to compete mm. uh, in the same way as the top of the. I mean, the top of the Championship we knew about anyway, but. But what it is, it's a mechanism to to pull together what we all know. I mean, that's what's been so frightening is we've known about this for years. We've known Leeds did this twenty years ago. Sorry, Leeds Leeds overspent. Absolutely, we were there, weren't we? Years ago. Yeah, I mean, nothing changed. We're still talking about the same thing. What alarms me is a quote from Tracy Crouch where she's talking about the implementation of of this. You know, these ideas. Mm. A lot of this is down to the government in terms of its implementation. I mean, she thinks she can trust Boris Johnson to do something good for English football. She's living in cloud cuckoo land. Well, it was interesting yesterday. I do, I did get this distinct impression that the government wants to wants to 
adopt this really wants to push it through and i do think it, i think the vast majority of the recommendations will will go through i'm sure and the report will be embraced because football is a vote winner let's be honest here in a cynical sense if boris is struggling at the moment in pepper pig world then basically he you know there's one thing that will get him up off the floor and that's to be seen to be doing something good for football whether we like it or not, it's a is cynical. He capable, it's a cynical is, he, is he a capable enough? Prime yeah, minister? yeah, because I think Tracy through. Crouch is very, in, very intelligent mm. and very, you know, gets football. Is such a passionate thing. In her introduction, she was talking about dribbling around plant pots in a garden, pretending to be Clive Allen. This is yeah. a sort of a kind of a you know, died in the wall football fan who's got who's got you know the game absolutely at heart. And 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 frankly, I think it's the best couldn't think of a better person because that level you need that level of independence people will pick it apart pick it apart and they will pick it apart with an agenda and basically she she hasn't got that bias or agenda and i think it was well written well 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 put together and makes valid points you're right there wasn't a lot in there that made me go wow didn't know that Although I have to say, I mean, our colleague Neil Moxley, you know, writes about Birmingham, he's so passionate about Birmingham and highlights so many issues at Birmingham. But that figure in there, evidence of a hundred million pound in debt, I probably had read that in one of Moxley's reports and did know that, but it still makes you go, what? A hundred million pounds, Birmingham. And it's just one of those wake up calls that you know that takes your breath away. Some of the the, the recklessness, you know, she said in conversation. When I spoke to her yesterday, and sort of on, you know on 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 Zoom, that basically it was, um, you know that that there's no doubt about it in her mind that Barry would have survived if the if the checks that she's recommending within this had been in place then, because it's it's not just one off ownership tests; it's it's ongoing financial checks. Would the Saudi takeover have got through? Well, she I asked her that, and basically she, wasn't she specific said she didn't to know. Of us, but yeah, no, she but. said she didn't know. She she basically the simple answer was don't don't know on that one. Because but she did say that the test the test you know would have stressed it yeah. further. Basically, the but interestingly, test, she said, Jeremy. Interestingly, in terms of this being a vote winner and being popular with the government and with football fans, um, she did highlight in the report that the situation at Newcastle under Mike Ashley wouldn't have been allowed to exist because mm. he was just a single, they didn't have a proper board structure. He was just making all the decisions. Yeah. So under the, the terms of the license, Mike Ashley wouldn't have been able to operate Newcastle in the way that he did for so many years. So if you know she's finding a mechanism to give fans what what fans wanted was Mike Ashley not to be able to run Newcastle like that, wasn't it? They didn't want Saudi owners. They just wanted Mike Ashley out mainly. Uh, and this would give a mechanism for that. Well, I would say in terms of bias and things, her only bias, I think, is the fact that she is a politician. But I think that's a positive because I think she's put together a document that government ministers can vote for uh, mm. because we're not – she's not couched, couched in terms of um, – the government she hasn't put in terms of football taking over uh, uh, sorry the government taking over football it's more in terms of empowering fans so it looks like a vote winner for Boris for whoever that you know um that he can vote in and they can get through Parliament and say we've given yeah we've given football back to the to the fans so uh no, I'm I'm hopeful for my one, my one concern is you two. Um, we're a man down at the minute. I just wanted to ask you two. Is there someone powerful enough, influential enough to persuade the likes of Roman Abramovich, the Glazers, the Saudis, to actually cough up with this 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 levy that, that, that is needed for lower league teams? Well, I must say the one thing I one thing I would say about that is that ten percent so the <coughs> Excuse me. I think it was estimated that it was 160 million, wasn't it? 160 million over the last five years. Yeah. So basically, you know, that's a lot of money, basically. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, will will that be adopted? I don't know. You know, it's it's an interesting interesting take on things. I think Andy mentioned it had been sort of um, suggested before, but I think what we're overlooking here is that it's sort of the Premier League already, you know, Premier League clubs already pay 4% levy on uh, transfers, which largely goes to player development. A further 5% uh, to FIFA. Um, 
and then basically once you add on the ten percent, nineteen percent, if I'm doing my maths correct, um, it's a lot. It's a lot of money, and you could argue that then suddenly, well, it, you know, when when you're in that sort of territory, you're having to raise the the stakes and raise the price to yeah. try and get get those players on board and so again it sort of raises the demands of the of the clubs and and further artificially you know sort of um inflates that inflates the market still further i mean i do think we sort of blindly sort of say oh kind of you know i mean abramovich clearly is a billionaire he's done amazing things for 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 chelsea and frankly you know to, to see him this week do do you know stuff for you know through the pandemic? He was he was fabulous, wasn't he? For for the for the local area, pushing things. You know, he's led a fantastic anti-Semitism campaign, and I think he you know I think he's done fantastic things, and every Chelsea fan basically loves him. And 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 you know, there's other good there's other owners of the top six there. You know, quite apart from the unpopular ones who you know jumped on board the uh, Super League gravy train. But the, I think the the wider point is then though that when you see clubs like Barcelona in absolute financial ruin, Jeremy, you 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 know correctly pointed out about twenty years ago with Leeds. I think we think of that as a kind of a you know that will never happen again. Well, it absolutely could, you know, because if a club like Barcelona, you know, who are an absolute mess, to hear them talking about trying to sign. Raheem Sterling on loan in January. I mean, it's just laughable, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. laughable. Does someone take a step back and say, why would Man City do that? Why would they entertain that? You're not going to do it. I mean, buying is a different thing, but clearly. But it's just loan? What? And and, and by the way, how would they afford his wages? Because they're in a, such a mess. I mean, it's just... I think as well... Know, if, it's one of the biggest clubs in the world. It's Barcelona... Who are essentially bankrupt, aren't they? Really, when you yeah. look at the numbers, effectively, yeah. that should be a watershed moment for, for football around the world because they are an institution at the Barcelona, one of the truly iconic clubs uh, in the history of football. And yeah, you don't want to. It's sad to see them, isn't it? You know, in such a, such a perilous state. So this this should be where the moment we actually think, God, if that can happen to that club, that is that is a watershed moment for the game. Mm. No, I totally, totally agree. It's a great, it is a great point. And I think that basically Barcelona, frankly, to me, is the biggest warning sign out of the Super League fiasco. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, frankly, as much as the Super League in itself, you know, it's no wonder the big clubs wanted it and were desperate for it because they are a breaking point. They are absolutely a breaking point. And the Premier League is actually that last TV deal, the American TV deal, Frankly, it only probably covers the losses. That's the long and short of it. But they're, yeah. they're, they're some way down the road to covering those losses, frankly, and getting back to zero. And and and, and that's what we shouldn't forget. But um, but there you go. Guys, let's let's just finally sort of kind of as a final item, you know, the, the, the game stands out on absolute miles weekend. Chelsea v Man United. Absolute cracker, isn't it, on sort of Sunday. And... Um, uh, you know what, what? What? What do we think? We talked about each club in, individually, but um, let, let's 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 go around the room. Is there any hope um, for um, for Michael Carrick? Carrick's at the wheel. I mean, you know, we sort of kind of going to have sort of loads and loads of former players sort of saying he should get the job and sort of serenading him live on TV. Perhaps. What do we think, guys? What, what's going to be the result? What's going to be the outcome? I can't see anything other than a Chelsea win, to be honest. I mean, look, Chelsea, Dunny alluded to it earlier, they're such a well-drilled team. You know, um, they've lost once at home all season. I think they've won eight of the last 10 games in all competitions. They are, they'd have a weakness. And Carrick, you know, he, he, you know, he made some big decisions on um, Tuesday night. He left Fernandes out and he got a, got a big win. Um, but Chelsea is a different proposition altogether at Stamford Bridge, so... You know, I think he's on a free he's on a free ride, Carrick. Really, no one, no one, no one in the right mind thinks he's going to be the next permanent manager of Manchester United. So, you know, however long he's there, he just he just has to do the best job he can. And you know, I don't expect Chelsea to win four or five nil, but I'd be staggered if if Chelsea don't win the game. Mm, yeah, Matt, what are you thinking? Mm, I'm not so confident as you, Jeremy. I, I think they could win four or five nil. Uh, having yeah. seen them live, they were that good. 
um, there if they carry any of that sort of forward. And then on top of that, they've got um, if that doesn't work, they've got Romelu Lukaku to come back. So uh, you know, <laughs> I think it'd be quite an introduction to real football management for Michael Carrick this one. And United's search for an interim manager might step up a gear next week. Mm. Andy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty much agree. I think you know what, what's overlooked by overlooked when you when analysing that performance of Villarreal for Manchester United. Two things: one, it was you know quite a bold call to drop Bruno Fernandez, but you know it was the wrong one, wasn't it? You know, because because in the end, people say, "Oh, you know, he's left Fernandez and Rashford out, and he's playing uh, Martial and Van der Beek." Well, the <laughs> game. They were rubbish while those two were on. Then they brought Fernandez and Rashford on. The game changed. So, like you know, basically it was back to what, back to back to Ollie at the wheel. Basically, you know, relying on Fernandez to a certain extent. Um, and you know, don't forget you know, when they said, "Oh, oh, Carrick sort of like you know, the game plan was to be in it and then sort of strike later on, which they did." Well, you know, the game plan. David the game made three or four excellent saves, and United were poor. Were poor for a long period of that game against the Villarreal team and have won. I think probably three games in the league of this season, you know, who aren't very good. So I think any sign of a bounce, you know, might be um, slightly illusory. But but yes, instance, they've got a chance because they've they've got good players. You know, the way they're playing is is slightly well. It's 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 hard to understand how how poor United have been in those three games in particular, Watford. Uh, Liverpool and Manchester City. You know, they're okay when they won at Spurs. So yeah, listen, they, they, they've they've got a chance because they have they have players of of exceptional quality. Sancho showed in a flash what what he is capable of mm. um, in midweek. You know, Ronaldo. I think Fernandez will play. He won't play Van der Beek. He'll, he'll start Fernandez, and Fernandez can create. But you, you, your worry is is that against the Chelsea team that put four past Juve, the, the the worry at the moment. You, you know, never mind the managerial situation. It's just that. That they kept the clean sheet in in Spain, I thought was was a minor miracle because it looks as though every time a team runs at United, they look as though they could concede mm-hmm. defensively. They look, as I say, it sounds a strange thing to say considering they kept the clean sheet in the Champions League, but they look defensively. They look so vulnerable, and Chelsea looks so well equipped to take advantage. So it might be closer than than you anticipate, but I'm, I'm with with the lads. You know, I just I think anything other than the Chelsea win would be would be a very big surprise. Yeah, absolutely. No, it'd be interesting to see. One final thought. We've got a nice message here, quite right, from John Morgan on the comments section, basically saying that uh, George Best, the best player to grace the field, in his opinion, died 16 years ago um, today. You're quite right, right, John. Yeah, so, um, yeah, absolutely. What an amazing, amazing talent. We should... uh, should yeah. offer hat and pay tribute. So uh, well done for pointing that out. So, um, but guys, thanks so much um, uh, for joining. It was it's been a it's been a busy it's been a busy old busy old and uh, active week. Um, so uh, plenty to discuss and row about over the next few days, I'm sure. So thanks for joining. Same same time, same place next week. Cheers.